right before Jesus, who had just resurrected, and before he went back up to the Father, where he ascended to his throne and to the right hand of glory, he told his followers in Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. He says, in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. He was telling them, Jerusalem, the city that they lived, and then Judea was the greater province where people were a lot like them ethnically, and then Samaria, which was the the area just north that was different culturally, but related, but still different, but not that different, but nonetheless, a different culture, and then ends of the earth, which is at that point, every single possible cultural difference imaginable under the sun. And he says, you'll begin here, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, when he said that, Let's just remember something. He was in Jerusalem. He was in the Middle East. So when you think of the ends of the earth, where do you picture? Like, just think about that for a second. Do you picture India or China or, I don't know, New York? Yankees, you know, that's the ends of the earth. Like, that's it. It's over. When, when you picture the ends of the earth, what do you think about? Because if you think about it properly, um, where do you think you live? Um, Texas, North America, where is that in relation to Jerusalem? Where, where do you think you live right now? You live in the ends of the earth. Like this is across, I've I've flown it many times. Let me tell you, the 16-hour one-way flights, you're going to the ends of the earth to come back to Texas from being in the Middle East. It's far. The gospel has already reached, by God's grace, the ends of the earth. And yet, as we'll consider later this morning, oh, man, there are still many people who do not know. There are... Billions of people that have no access to the gospel who don't know. And yet, there are people right here in Bell County who don't know. They're lost and they're blind. And they may have heard of Jesus or they may have been to church with their grandma BBS years ago, but man, they don't know the love of God. They've never tasted the goodness and never tasted the gospel. And we're going to see this morning how we have a God who has a mission. It is our God who is on mission. And we receive the mercy of God in salvation so that we can then extend that mercy. So we receive mercy for the mission. This is what you see in the Bible from beginning to the end, from Genesis to Revelation. 
as we have seen every single week in this series, beginning in the Garden of Eden and then ending with the new heavens and new earth at the renewal of all things, everything, all of redemptive history, God's entire plan, one way that you can understand it is mission. The Bible is all about the mission of God. I think sometimes believers that are raised in church, especially if you come from a more of a Baptist background, then you've heard of the Great Commission, which is Matthew 28, the last paragraph in the Gospel of Matthew. And it is preached every year in like the Missions Week, and it's just such a common text. And what happens to us is we think that when Jesus said, go therefore into all the world, that it was like something novel, as though it was a new thing, as the go make disciples of all nations was something that Jesus came up with right there after his resurrection. But what we need to understand is that that, when Jesus sent his people out, it was simply the continuation of what began in eternity past. It has always been God's plan. And Jesus is, of course, as we've seen every week in this series, the culmination. So he's the climax. He's the center. He's the purpose. It is all about the glory of King Jesus, who was resurrected and defeated the grave and crushed the head of the serpent. Yes, it's all about Jesus. But man, it began with Jesus and his Father and the Spirit in eternity past. So the mission of God began in eternity with a covenant between the Father and the Son and the Spirit, where God knew that Adam would blow it. God knew that there would be need for redemption. In eternity past, you had the Father, who his role in redemption, if you want to think of it this way, I've been accused of liking alliteration. I don't know why people think that. But um, if, you, if you want to think of it this way, three A's, so... The father is the architect. It was his plan. It's the father who sent the son. It's the father's plan. He is the architect. The son is he who accomplished. He's the accomplisher of redemption. It was the son, not the father on the cross. Jesus accomplished redemption. And then the father and the son sent the spirit who goes and he applies that redemption to us in sanctifying and in regenerating and in the work of the spirit that is the application of what the son accomplished and the father was the architect of an eternity past. And so what you see is in eternity past, the Trinity decided to have a mission. So it's fitting that we would conclude this series today. And so if you're new to Renewal and you've missed quite a bit of this series, we actually began this series back in May in the shutdown when we were still recording people's backyards and, and doing it online. And that was a fun season that I hope we never have to go back to again. I'm sure I can get an amen on that one. 
is it was it was good. God was helpful in all the ways that God was sovereign over. But man, I'm glad we're not in the shutdown anymore. We can gather in person. But this series began in the shutdown, the first few sermons. And so if you have missed this, and if you want to better understand how the Bible is, these, the glory of God is revealed by being an interwoven masterpiece. You can go back to the website. We have all the sermons, video, and audio that are archived. And so you can go back and and understand a little bit better as today we wrap it up though it's really helpful for me because we're finishing on the mission of God because this this church from day one has been about being on mission and so it's fitting that we conclude with this particular topic of how from beginning to end God has had a mission so let me just give you Three truths. Now, I could do two or four, but three tends to be something that's somewhat memorable. And so we'll go with three truths specifically about the mission of God that began in eternity and that will end once again in future eternity. Number one, let's see the God of mission. Let's begin to understand who this God of mission is. And so this first truth that we're going to unpack here is the God of mission. Because God's mission, again, so that we're super clear, did not begin with Adam and Eve. The mission did not begin with with Abraham or with Israel. It began far before that. And I'll give you one verse that shows this. Ephesians 1.4 says, God the Father chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. So you see election, you see God loving you and having elected you, having chosen you and loved you before the foundation of the world. So before the foundations were even laid of the universe, when nothing existed except for the Trinity, God already chose you in Christ. He already knew that you would need redemption and had already committed and already loved you. Eternity past. This is a you before the foundation of the world. You have been chosen in Christ. And then if you look at another verse in Luke 22, verse 29, what you see here, Jesus says that my father has assigned to me a kingdom. Isn't that beautiful? That the father has chosen you and then assigned you. He's given you to the son as a love gift and says, here, son, here's a kingdom of of people that will worship you, that will delight in you and in your glory. And then another one is John 6, 37. Jesus says, all that the father gives me, you hear that? The father gives me people, they will come. And then here you see this incredible divine tension of God is sovereign, and you see that there is election, and yet you also see in this this incredible, infinite, our finite minds can comprehend the infinite, this divine tension where you see, so all the Father gives me will come, and whoever comes, so that sounds kind of like there's free will involved here, and to a degree, Yes, that's true, but it's the spirit that changes your heart so that you want to and can respond. 
But from our human experience, there's a very real, genuine free will response, and so we don't want to ignore that. It's real. We have to come to Jesus. And again, we accept this as mystery and trust God with how he can work all of this out in eternity. But he says, all that the Father gives me will come, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. This is amazing. And so if you think about what or who you are, I know there's moments when you look in the mirror and you think you're a failure, or you look at your marriage and you think it's in shambles, or you find yourself trying to cover your tracks so that people won't find out what you're struggling with or what you're hiding. Or maybe you're here this morning and your heart is heavy. And you're wondering, does God have a word for me today? Here is what you need to know. This is your real identity. If you love Jesus, if you belong to him, then what you are, you are the recipient of eternal love. God loved you in eternity past. And he's going to love you into eternity future And right here, in the here, in the now, in the struggles, in the pain, in the disappointment, in the whatever you're walking through today, you are loved. That defines you. That God chose you in Christ before he created the world. And that he has literally given you as a prized jewel to the Son. Compare that to the messages that our world has for us. It's just, it's rubbish. When we realize who we are in Christ and what we have received, it changes everything. And it gives us this desire and the supernatural empowering to go and actually live on mission. So it all flows from these eternal purposes of God. And because it was his eternal purpose to create a people, a kingdom that would belong to the Son, in eternity past, it now makes sense why in Genesis chapter 1, you have God telling Abraham, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. They're like, oh, well, that makes sense. Of course, he said, to fill the earth. It wasn't just about go and have babies. I mean, it was, but it's not less than that, but it certainly is a lot more than that. Adam was being sent to accomplish God's mission. That's what you're seeing. Have the whole world filled with people who will treasure God and be assigned to give into the kingdom of Jesus with Adam being the son who was called to lead humanity to worldwide worship. So if you want to get a sense of what the mission is, I'll give you two words. Worldwide, I guess the compound word, so it's like three, but two are combined, so I'll just say two. Worldwide worship. That is the mission of God. That is what God is all about, is being worshipped, being treasured, seeing his value, his glory enjoyed, savored, and seen 
this is what God is all about. And so this mission that was given to Adam to lead, we know the story, he failed. Adam was meant to win righteousness by defeating the serpent. He was meant to win life and justification for the entire human race. But Adam did not win any of those things. Instead, Adam failed, and what Adam brought upon us was what? Sin and death and condemnation and curses. This is what our father Adam brought us. And so instead of leading us to worldwide worship, Adam has led the human race to worldwide idolatry, worldwide Fake worship, worshiping a counterfeit, worshiping the created instead of the creator. So this is, this is what Adam did. So when, when God's son, Adam, failed, there was Adam cursed and ashamed and corrupted. And yet did God abandon his plan of worldwide worship through his son? No. Because God's purposes cannot be stopped. So we saw this over the series, but in Genesis 3.15, we see the first gospel. We're in the middle of condemnation and judgment. God promises another son would come who would defeat the serpent and restore us back to the father, back to his mission. This new son would lead worldwide worship. He would lead a new humanity who would then be filled with the spirit and would have hearts that yearn for the king. This is what the promise was. And so mission, you see it here in Genesis, in the Garden of Eden. You see this promise that the son will come and restore and fulfill the mission of God. And what's amazing is in the middle of Adam being disgraced and disobedient, what you see Adam hearing from his father is mercy. Can you relate? Now, as a father, and I have my four children here in the room, and so it's kind of hard to pose when they know you, they live with you, like they see you, and... So it's one thing to preach a big game on a Sunday, but, you know, it's a different thing day in, day out when they watch you, which us, so many PKs are messed up. Like, I'm a PK, so, yeah, I, I, I see that hand. And my sister, Rachel, is visiting from Laredo this weekend, and so she and I, like, we could share all kinds of stories about being a PK. We're called to be real, but if I'm honest with you, with with my children, there are moments when, when they mess up. And instead of having mercy, we respond with anger or yelling at them or, what were you thinking? Or, why did you do that? Like, or is it just me? Oh, man. And so parenting is so hard because you can't, like, clock out. Like, you're always on the clock. You're always on. Like, but it exposes us. See, God is a perfect father. And what you see here with Adam is 
God promises mercy, and Adam hears, okay, yes, you failed, but it's, it's fine, Adam. This was all part of the plan. Another son will come. And then you see this unfolding story of mercy, the story of God's mission being accomplished, of God reaching for his wayward sons and daughters to bring them to glory, back to himself. And you get to Genesis chapter 12, and you meet Abraham, and he is promised that through him, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Again, this whole global thing, this worldwide worship thing, with Abraham, and you see it again in chapter 17 of Genesis with Abraham again, where he's told that God's to make a great nation from him, a nation of people who will know God and will worship him. And then years later, they're enslaved by the Egyptians, and God raises up Moses to deliver them. I want to read to you a text from Exodus 12, verses 37 and 38, and this is when God had freed them supernaturally from slavery. And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Sukkoth about 600, or yeah, 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. That's a lot of people. I love verse 38. A mixed multitude. You hear that? So the, the sons of Abraham, the descendants of Abraham, are leaving. And it says, a mixed multitude also went up with them. And very much livestock, both flocks and herds. Did you catch that? A mixed multitude. People of many other nations, many other ethnic backgrounds were right there with the, the descendants of Abraham. And it was from the very beginning, from leaving Egypt, as they go and become God's people with his covenant at Mount Sinai, when they got there, they were already a ethnically diverse people. And so from the very beginning, Israel has always been about diversity. It has always been about all nations and a mixed multitude praising God who was worthy. It's not a new thing with the New Testament. It was always God's plan. Eternity passed to have a people, every tribe and nation and tongue worshiping Jesus for his glory. And you see this even in Exodus. Let me give you two words, and we've, we've looked at a lot of them, obviously, throughout this entire series, that are these threads that connect the Bible as one story. But if you want two words to just kind of help you think through the Old Testament, one is Messiah. Obviously, it's about the anointed one, the chosen one, who would redeem God's people. So Messiah and mission. Yeah, pick two M words. Messiah and mission really kind of summarize the Old Testament. It is all about the coming Messiah who has a mission to accomplish. It's, it's the person, the Messiah, for the purpose of accomplishing his mission. And so Messiah and mission always go hand in hand. I think it's funny how we, we can maybe do this Old Testament studies and then you can find Jesus, like find the Messiah in the Old Testament. You're like, oh, that's so cool. And I've heard people teach 
and, and they're talking about this and they're like, yeah, I just think it's really neat that Jesus is in the Old Testament. <laughs> like, I don't mean to laugh, but I'm sorry. Like, it's not neat. It's not just so cool. It's not just a really interesting academic tidbit. It's not. There's a mission. There's a purpose. Jesus is in the Old Testament because it's one story, and it's the purpose of God. It's the mission of God that is being accomplished. And so we need to read the Old Testament messianically, but also missionally, and keep both of those side by side, messianically and missionally. It is all about the purpose of God to have all nations worship him through his Messiah. And you see that in Isaiah chapter 9. It's a very common text around Christmas time, but it's relevant in September as well. Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. By the way, that is exactly what Genesis 3.15 is about. Genesis 3 is about a son who will come, born of a woman. Here he is, Isaiah 9. For to us a child is born, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of the government, and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The promised son, the Messiah, will be the king who will rule over his people for eternity and he will be God in the flesh because the son who was born is mighty God. You see that in Isaiah 700 years before Jesus was born. And if you keep reading in Isaiah, Isaiah 53 describes the Messiah as the suffering servant who dies to save his people from their sin. Isaiah 63 describes Messiah as the conqueror who will literally smash the enemy. So you can go and do your study. I encourage you to do so. And I, I mean, I've just been praying that if, if nothing else, these several weeks where we've been looking at biblical theology and seeing these themes that kept the Bible as one, that you would just hunger more for the word and hunger for Jesus. Hunger for his mission, which you see also in Isaiah 49, verse 6, as we seek to keep the Messiah and his mission side by side. And he says, he being the Messiah, is it too light a thing that you should be my servants to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel? He's saying, it's too light, it's too easy, it's not big enough to simply preserve the ethnic Israelites. He's like, that's too small. He says, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. God's plan has always been, always will be for his salvation to reach the ends of the earth. And he says that all nations would know him. And so we are called to be a light to the nations. This is what defines the people of God. 
And there's a text that really summarizes this, and I, I won't do a lot of explanation on it. A few comments, I wanted to read it because it shows you in just one text the purpose of God in Isaiah, I'm sorry, in Psalm 67. Psalm 67 is just one beautiful, just seven verses that shows you the mission of God. May God be gracious to us and bless us, make his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations, that the peoples praise you, O God, let all the peoples praise you, let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Let all nations be glad. Let the ends of the earth worship him. This is the mission of God. And you see it in verse 1 and 2, that he is gracious to us. He's merciful in salvation. And then verse 2, his saving power known among all nations. Verses 3 through 5 in the middle. He says, let all the peoples praise you. All the nations praise you. The last two verses, he blesses us so that, he's just key, he gives us blessings so that all the ends of the earth would worship him. So we are blessed to then be that channel of blessing to others, we receive this mercy that we extend to others in this mission. And so you're not saved for yourself, you're saved for others. And it's all about the finished work of Jesus on the cross. It is all about his mercy. And we are a blood-bought people. And these realities of Christ crucified and resurrected, his work on the cross, and our calling to go fulfill his mission is what defines us. And at the end of time, in Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 12, you see the completion of God's mission that he began in eternity past. And after this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever Amen. Now we could just stop right there. That's really all you need. I have more notes of things that I want to share with you. We're part of such a good story. We have such a good God. And when we're on the other side, when we're resurrected and we're among this multitude of every tribe and every nation that no one can number, this mixed multitude that we saw in Exodus fulfilled there in Revelation in the future, you're still going to be you. Like, I'll still be Hispanic, half Hispanic, half French, you know. 
uh, I'm still going to have brown curly hair, and you're still going to be you, and you're going to have your ethnicity. You're still going to be a human, who you are, but without sin. That's the glorious part. You'll still be you, but with no pain and no degeneration, just glorified with no sin, but still very much you, and with memories. How do I know that? Because we're seen here praising him who saved us. If you forgot what you're saved from, then what's the point? The whole point is that we will remember what it was like on this earth. We'll remember the pain, but we'll remember it as such a distant memory. Like, oh yeah, I remember back. Oh yeah, that was, uh, this is so much better. It's going to be so glorious. And we're going to praise Jesus for eternity for what he did right here on this life. And so what we do right here, including this holy moment, has eternal implications. Every time that we gather, eternity is in the balance. It is an eternal purpose that we're here for. The mission of God. And just gather a multitude of redeemed people from all nations that enjoy the glory of King Jesus. That is the mission of God. Worldwide worship. The people of mission. Number two, we need to pick up some speed here. Time's going to run out. That's a God of mission. That's the heart of God as the first missionary. Now let's consider the people of mission. So if it's God's mission to extend his glory and have all nations worship him and taste and see that he is good, and if we are the ones that have actually tasted and seen that he is good, then that makes us the people of mission. This is who we are. This defines us. You know, I've, I've heard it said, and if you've thought this, I don't mean to disparage you. I just want you to learn and grow. Um, that if someone, I'll say this, that Jesus would have died on the cross just for you. Ever heard that? Ever heard someone say along the lines of God loves you so much that, that Jesus would have died if just for one sinner would have been worth it or Jesus died thinking about just you on the cross? If you've heard that or thought something along those lines, again, I don't mean to be rude, but that's not true. Jesus was not thinking about just you. He was not. And I know that because it's in the Bible. Luke 24, verse 46 through 48. Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise. So suffer on the cross. On the third day rise from the dead. Why? He says that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed to one person, right? No. It says, in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. Um, it was always about all the nations. So God was thinking about you, but not just you. He was thinking about all nations, a multitude that he can number, that no one else can number, that he loves. And he was dying to, re to rescue, to redeem, and then to resurrect a redeemed people of all nations. This is what it's about. It's about all nations. So it's accomplished through the gospel. It's described here in Luke 24 as the message of repentance. What is this message of repentance? The gospel, the good news of Jesus' life, sacrificial death, 
Resurrection, ascension, this good news that we can be forgiven because you just work on the cross, the atonement. It's all about Jesus and his gospel. So the gospel is the message of repentance. And so we must love the gospel and we must live out the gospel and we must treasure it and we must proclaim it as it says that he died so that repentance can be preached to all nations because it is repentance that brings refreshing in the Lord. Turning away from your sin is what brings you closer to God and it leads to refreshing. John 20, 21 shows how we are a sent people. Jesus said to them, peace. Remember that from a few weeks ago? Shalom. Shalom to you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. He gives us his peace, his presence, so we can go and accomplish his purpose. So we're sent to participate in the mission of God. And it's a soul-satisfying, tremendous privilege to be used by God. And so I pray that you can see God work through you. And we can see how other biblical threads are all woven together with mission. So the people of God, we saw that a few weeks ago. The, the mission, God is bringing a multitude of his people together. We saw the laws of God. Our brother Colton preached on that several weeks ago, on that thread. Well, he is resurrecting and rescuing a people, that's his mission, who have new hearts with the desire and the ability to obey his laws, fueled by his spirit who is holy. The kingdom of God, we saw that earlier in the series. Well, the, he has been assigned a kingdom of people who worship him. That's his mission, is to fulfill this purpose of having a kingdom of this mixed multitude. So the list goes on, presence of God. He says, I am with you. And when did he say that? When he told him to go, go into all the world, and I'll be with you to the end of the age. We have his promised presence as we're on mission. So it all connects together because the Bible is indeed one story. And so we are the people of the mission. We are called and we are sent out to go and share this good news with others so that they can experience the joy of salvation for the joy of all nations. So we have the mission of God, and now we have here the people of the mission. Now, let me give you the third one. This third point here is the clarity of mission. So I want to really clarify a few things, because this topic of God's mission can actually be confusing and sometimes lacking clarity. And we want to be very God-centered, not man-centered in how we accomplish and contribute towards this mission. So let me give you some of like some basics. So I have four brief basics about the mission so that we can have some very just clarity, just be clear about what we're talking about. The first basic here is the purpose of the mission. The purpose, just so that we're clear, is worship. Mission exists because worship does not. If someone is worshiping God, then their purpose has been fulfilled. That's why we exist. And so when we're in heaven, there won't be any missions. Think about it. 
In heaven, everyone will know Jesus. They're all going to be redeemed. And so missions will end at Christ's return. And so missions is the means. The end, the goal is worship. And so when someone comes to faith, they will join us and raise their hands with us and worship God because that's what God does. So the purpose of the mission is worship. Number two, this next basic is the path of the mission. And the path that we must stay on is the gospel. Because it's a gospel that brings life. It's the power of God for salvation. The gospel leads us home to God. The gospel is what transforms us. It's, it's all about this good news. And so we must be a gospel-centered church and continue to be one. We must stay on this gospel path. That is the path of the mission. But I want to also mention this. There's a lot of other good things that we could be doing. And churches do them. I'll give you some examples, like social justice, minority equality, legal advocacy, social activism, political engagement, including things like opposing the LGBTQ activism. I could give you more examples, but I think you get my drift, that there's a lot of good things that good churches even participate in. And, and there's a lot of individuals that feel called to some of these causes. And so I think that's fine. I don't, I don't have a problem. I, I respect that. So just we're all on the same page. Again, we're clarifying the mission here. Those things are not bad. Those are good things. Social justice and activism issues. But I do want to say this. Transformation comes through the gospel not through social activism. Because even if you get a Republican president nominated or then elected, do you think that's going to be the second coming of Jesus? Like, you think that's going to just fix everything? You're like, well, it's better than the opposition. Well, I, I don't even disagree with that. But my point is, as a church, our goal ought to be the gospel. Stay on this path of the gospel, and not be deviated. And if you feel called to one of these causes, go for it. But I just want to be super clear on this, that as a church, we're going to be focused on the gospel because the gospel is what transforms. And I believe as more people are transformed, then we're going to have revival. And what we need is Holy Spirit revival. We don't need more social action. That doesn't that doesn't fix the human heart. It's the gospel that does that. And so we're focused on Jesus and on his good news to be proclaimed for all nations. Now again, for further clarity on this path of the gospel, does that mean that we should not like feed the poor or help those that are on the street? Well, we should do those things. And we have members in this church that do and I love that. And we're even having a conversation on potential partnerships along those lines. And so we want that. But if you feed someone or get someone off the street or they get life skills or whatever, and, and they get a job and get their own house, but they don't know Jesus, you've helped them, but not in the ultimate sense you have not. Because unless someone knows Jesus, they're still spiritually dead. They don't have freedom from their sin. 
they won't be in that number worshiping Jesus for eternity. And so even when we do feed the poor and help those in need, we do it while pointing them to Jesus. So yes, we meet needs concurrently with pointing them to the gospel and true hope and freedom and joy in Jesus. So we have the purpose for the mission, which is worship, the path of the mission, which is the gospel, the people of mission, we're talking about that already, which is the community. And so I I just want to clarify that it is in community. Why our home groups are designed to be missional communities. This is what we want to be about, is encouraging each other to be on mission. And it's all accomplished through the local church. Jesus died, he's the head of the church. And so we want to be discipling each other so that we are encouraged and have the strength to go out and live on mission. While we have discipleship groups, while we have our home groups, like this is our DNA as a church. And Colton and I went to India and we were hoping to solidify partnerships and it just didn't work out because, well, COVID. <laughs> like it just, it, we can't travel. Like we were hoping to solidify global partnerships and see what God would have for us. But quite honestly, with travel restrictions, so our, our global reach is right now on pause. Okay, that's not forever. The day will come when we will be able to have partnerships globally and be on mission for all nations. But in the meantime, we can be on mission right here in Bill County and pray for the nations and pray that we can have a global component and reach to our church sooner rather than later. And then four, lastly, the posture of the mission. By posture, I mean like your heart's posture, your heart's attitude. So our posture has to be a resting in the sovereignty of God. Because I've lived overseas and I've seen the need, and I'm telling you, there's moments when it's so overwhelming. And you think, just a global need, and people across the planet have never heard of Jesus, and And it can honestly be paralyzing and overwhelming unless you are resting in God's hand and in his sovereignty that salvation belongs to the Lord. It's his. We receive his salvation because it is his Holy Spirit that regenerates and justifies, and then his spirit that then sanctifies believers, and his spirit is going to resurrect and glorify one day believers. So from beginning to end, salvation, all of it is accomplished with the spirit of God. He, it's him, it's his work. We're just messengers, and we just serve where he leads us and where he puts us. And if it's right here, then get busy right here. And you don't have to worry about every other country. You do what you're called to do, and you trust that God's got this. Because his spirit is at work across the planet. And you just go where he leads you. Just walking with him and trusting him. Resting that his mission is not going to fail. You know, Matthew 16, 18, it's kind of a well-known text. Jesus says, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, shall not prevail against it. So I don't know what you think that means. Like if you think there's these two gates that are like attacking the church. Um... It's not. The gates of hell will not prevail because we're the ones storming the gates of Hades. We are the ones that are attacking Hades and the gates won't hold up. That's the imagery. Like, 
understand what he was saying, that we're on the offensive and we're going with the king who has promised us victory. We know how the story ends. We know the sovereign is going to be crushed. And so we can have confidence resting in the sovereignty of God that people from every single tribe and nation and people will be in heaven. And so we can go with confidence knowing that there are people that will respond. And it's bigger than you or me. This gives us hope and courage to be on mission right here and across the planet. So as we wrap up, not just this sermon, but this series, man, I pray you'll hunger for God and be in awe of who he is and that that would just fuel you to live on mission with your people right here in this faith family and keep discipling people until every single corner of this earth is covered with worshipers. Mm -hmm.